Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. How well do you know God? He has made Himself known to us, right? Romans 1 begins like this. It says, Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His, uh, His eternal power and His divine nature have made Him clearly seen from what has been made. So how well do you know God? For example, if someone were to ask you, uh, could you mention two or three characteristics each of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Or if your friend asked you why you trust in God, why you pray to God, how would you answer them? In, in how many ways could you explain that? Would you tell them that, that God alone is the exalted one, that He is full of glory? Would you also mention to them that He is your personal hiding place, your refuge in the storm? Might you say this about God the Father, that He is sovereign, that there is, there is nothing that He can't do. And knowing Jesus as you do, might you mention that He is also the head of the church, which is His body. Would you mention that Jesus is your Redeemer, He is your righteousness, and you wear His, his robe of righteousness? Would you mention that Jesus is, is the resurrection and the life? And why do you rely on the Holy Spirit? Is it because He is the Spirit of truth? I hope so. Isn't it because He is the one who gives us new life? And not only does He give it, but it's by His power and His grace that He keeps us in faith, even to life everlasting. Now, I, I'm not asking these questions to, to make anybody feel guilty. Not at all. But what I am hoping for is that that, that Spirit of God might create in each of us an unquenchable hunger and thirst for God. By His Spirit at work in us, I hope that none of us think for even a second that, that my faith is good enough or that it's okay like the commercial says. Because we recognize what that is, don't we? I mean, that, that's one of the favorite lies of the evil one. Otherwise, why would God's Word tell us things like this? It tells us to leave the elementary teachings and then go on to maturity. In 1 Peter, he puts it like newborn babes crave that pure spiritual milk so you may grow up in your salvation. And the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 gives these instructions. He said, prepare God's people for works of service until we all become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In this month of January, 
we're, we're regaining our bearings, if you will. There's no better time than at the first part of the year to recommit ourselves to kingdom living. First, to identifying those things that make us fruitful and then to pursuing them so that we do, as Jesus put it, produce fruit that lasts. If you were not here last week, let me kind of recap briefly what our message was. I asked two things of our worshiping family. First, that we practice radical hospitality. If we can do better at practicing that kind of hospitality at home, with the people that we work around, those we go to school with, those that we, we hang out with, the more frequently we can practice radical hospitality in those places, the more natural it will be here. And when we do it here, it's a kingdom win. Also, people today are yearning for passionate worship. That's the second gift of five that, that we can be offering to the world today. In passionate worship, people are drawn into a new, vibrant, everlasting relationship with God Himself. In passionate worship, the Holy Spirit is filling our heart to overflowing as well as cleansing our minds. In fresh new ways, we are changed in worship by the presence of God. By His forgiveness by His promises and hope, all which are anchored in Jesus Christ. So back to today's focus. Once the Lord has laid His claim on our life as He has this morning for little Elijah, how do we grow in our relationship? How do we become a little more like Jesus Day by day, what's the process? Well, I'm glad you asked. Well, let me take you to a classic passage in the New Testament. Open your Bibles to the end of Acts chapter 2. Acts 2. In the early part of this chapter, we're told about the Holy Spirit coming and, and filling and empowering the early church on the day of Pentecost. In a single day, the number of those who became followers of Jesus went from about 120 to more than 3,000. Imagine if that happened here. What do you do with 3,000 baby Christians? How do you take them from where we all begin to where we all want to be? What's the process for putting them on the road to spiritual maturity and fruitfulness? All of those questions are answered in verse 42. Luke writes, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. You know, we, we could stop right there and and have our answers. I think it's worth noting that the early church had high expectations 
of their disciples. Just like every congregation should today. Did you notice the way he put it? They devoted themselves to certain things. Now, there, there was no just kind of showing up once in a while and, and thinking that was it. Not at all. I'm thinking about what Jesus said in, in Matthew 7. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father. And in another place, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said there is a cost to being a disciple of Jesus. And that cost is intentional faith development. It's our commitment to growing spiritually and doing it our whole life long. Doing it in community with others. And, and isn't that what Acts 2 said? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that's being in the Word, and to the fellowship. That's having personal connections with other followers of Jesus. There are no lone rangers when it comes to being a fruitful follower of Christ. And in fact, Luke flushes it out even more here. Let's read the whole section. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There are no less than six references right here to intentional faith development in the company of others. Why the repetition? Because it doesn't work when we try to go it alone. You and I need to be connected to those whose faith is, is further along than ours. Just like those who are newer Christians need to be connected to us. In fact, maybe that's, maybe that's why we have been given two hands. One so that we can hold the hand of of a more mature believer and at the same time a less mature believer can hold on to our hand. Way back in the day I used to do uh, quite a bit of distance running. I know you wouldn't know that now but uh, it, it was true. I, I used to run five, ten miles a day, sometimes more. And to make that kind of commitment though requires having a running buddy. 
someone that you know will be at the agreed upon place at 6 or 6.30 each morning. Because without, without that kind of accountability, without that kind of companionship, here's what happens. On a day like today, you think, I, I don't need to be a fanatic about this. I, I can sleep in one day. Some of you are smiling big, you know. And, and then this, you, the second day, well, you know, I, I don't really want to go again today. So before long, what happens? Your running shoes get kicked to the back of the closet and soon gather dust. And the same thing happens when we have the desire to be strong and to stay strong spiritually. The truth of the matter is, we learn best together. Our faith grows stronger when we're in community. That, that's one of the most powerful things about Trinity's discipleship huddles. Four to six people gathered around a table, or perhaps sitting in someone's living room, an hour or so each week, asking each other to, to reflect on where they've seen Christ at work in their life, encouraging and, and being accountable to one another for, for joining Jesus on His mission, learning how to start spiritual conversations, and in the process, not only deepening your own Christian faith, but developing relationships, spiritual relationships like, like nowhere else. I've said it before and I'll say it another thousand times. Being part of our huddles here has been the most meaningful, the single most meaningful, and I think also effective part of my entire ministry. Why should I be surprised? I mean, didn't Jesus say, go and make disciples of all nations? He didn't say go and make church members. Because there's a world of difference between those two. When we make disciples, we discover so much more that our God has in store for us. More of His joy more of His freedom, more of His power to, to resist temptations and overcome fears. Our God, this One in whom we trust, He wants more for us to experience. More for us to rely on, on His presence. When Jesus said, I am with you, Always, He meant it. Jesus, John says, is full of grace and truth. Who of them of us wouldn't want greater faith in Him? More personal confidence in Him? An author by the name of Pamela Reeve has written this. 
She said, faith is engaging in the deepest joy of heaven as I walk through the thorny, desolate now. I think that's a good description of faith. And for that reason, because we live in this thorny, desolate place, we need a stronger faith, don't we? The good news is, Jesus makes it available. So are there other ways that, that we can deepen our relationship with God other than, than in huddles? Sure there are. I mean, for our students, it, it happens in each and every one of our student ministry events. It happens as the choir meets or the disaster team deploys. It happens in life groups and AA meetings. It happens in marriage enrichment weekends and, and, and retreat settings. It happens in service projects and on mission trips. Because what was it that Jesus said? Something like, wherever two or three come together, I'm there too. I quoted Bonhoeffer earlier. Let me, let me leave you with this quote of his. He said, in the companionship of a fellow Christian, we see the, a physical sign of the gracious presence of Christ. In the companionship of a fellow Christian, we see a physical sign of the gracious presence of Christ. For that reason, brothers and sisters, let's be intentional about developing our faith in the Lord. And doing so our whole life long. The blessing of of knowing Jesus more fully, of trusting Him more confidently, of sharing Him more frequently. What can compare to that? Amen. And may the peace of God that surpasses human understanding may keep your hearts and minds in Jesus. Amen.